Um, let's do this. On the first Sunday of Advent, we, we remembered the hope that Christ brings to the world. The second week of Advent, we looked to the peace that God has made possible through the coming of his son. And the last week, we celebrated the joy we have in Jesus. Today, as we light the fourth candle, we remember that even while we were still sinners, God loved us. It is because of that love that Jesus came to us. They called him Emmanuel, for through Jesus, God is with us. John 3, 16 to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Our teaching series throughout Advent comes from passages in the book of Matthew. We invite you to stand for today's reading from Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for your gift of love shown to us perfectly in Jesus Christ, your son. We know that you have called us to love you perfectly as you love us, but we confess that we love you imperfectly. We love you with a divided heart, with reservation and qualification, with passion withheld and a devotion impaired. But still, you love us. Still, you're with us. Lead us past our shabby compromises and our cheap devotion. Lead us into singleness of vision and purity of heart, that we may love you more fully and that we may love others as you love us. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, Xander and Mandy. I appreciate you guys so much. Man, I am really glad that you're here today, and this message is a lot of fun to preach. And so uh, I want to begin with just acknowledging that we get to you know, study today uh, Jesus' birth story, his, his birth narrative, uh, how he came into the world, and it got me thinking uh, about, uh, about our own stories uh, as parents and our own children, and uh, 
many years ago now, 15 years ago now, I remember expecting Micah, our firstborn, and how uh, stressed out I was and woefully un- unprepared. Uh, I, we adopted a cat when we got married, and I think we filled out more paperwork and did more research on like, you know, how to make sure this cat survived in our home. And we were, like, we were like leaving, I remember the hospital, thinking, really, seriously, we just get to leave with this child that we now have to keep alive? And uh, it, was a, it was a stressful time. And so I, I bought this book uh, called Be Prepared. It was a practical handbook for new dads. Had all kinds of really great workout routines to do with your newborn. Uh, had all kinds of really great, helpful sort of insights. I, I used it uh, regularly. There's a whole chapter on how to survive a bear attack while hiking in the woods with your child. And, uh, you know, it was great. I mean, profound. Uh, but the, the most insightful thing uh, to me was the opening page of the book said, this is what your child will not look like which was helpful to know what the child was not going to look like. Uh, and the second page says, this is what your child will look like, and that was helpful. I mean, a, a gauging uh, a little bit of expectation. Uh, and so you see them side by side, and you see uh, you know, perception versus reality about what that whole thing was going to be like. And I can remember, like, Vanessa, after Micah, was, he, was, he was 10 pounds, okay, when he was born. Uh, massive, uh, 50% head. Uh, just unbelievable. And, I mean, he came out, the kid came out with, like, a 5 o'clock shadow. He was smoking a cigar. He had to Adam's apple. He was like, hey, world, I'm here, you know, and, and it was, I can remember thinking, like, um, he's not cute, uh, not uh, the least bit, and my wife was like, well, is he cute? She was asking, is he cute? And I said, he's all right, I mean, he's all right. Maybe he'll grow into it. I don't know, um, but here it is, Matthew 118, the birth of Jesus took place this way, all right? So we are here in the Bible talking about Jesus' birth. What child is this? Uh, who's who a child is, this is the question we've been asking and uh, we've been trying to give an answer to uh, throughout this series. One is, Jesus is a child who brings hope to the hopeless. Uh, he is the child who brings peace to chaos. He is the child who brings uh, joy to sad hearts. This week, our topic is, he is a child who brings love to the lonely, which begs the question, why do we feel lonely? This is a common human experience. Uh, All of us have felt it. We know what it feels like. We hate it. Uh, We do everything we can in our power uh, to stop it from happening. But many of us have had the experience in life where we've been surrounded by people and and felt like the most lonely person in the universe. That somehow loneliness is a feeling that settles in to the human experience. And it's one that we don't want. Uh, And sometimes it's important for us to hit time out and say, why does it exist? I mean, if God lives in perfect community, and He does... Why, why, did, why does loneliness exist? I mean, Jesus even refers to himself in relationship to the Father, for example. He says, don't you see that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? Like, we have this perfect community. And by the way, God created the world for loving relationships. I mean, it's, it's written into the purpose. It struck me this week in my Bible study. I was just reading through Genesis again. And th- those early chapters, those first three chapters, which explain so much about the human condition. And it struck me kind of fresh this week, just in reading, just really fresh, that God could, could have created the world in any way He wanted to create the world. Uh, he could have told us the narrative of how He created the world in any way that He wanted to. But instead, He says, I want to hit time out for a second. I'm going to create man, but I'm going to hit pause, and I'm going to make a statement about human existence. This is, happens in Genesis 2.18. He looks at man, he looks at Adam, and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. In other words, 
I'm going to make note of something that I have no, you know, I don't have to make note of, but I'm going to make note of it because it's so important that in, as I'm creating the world, I want all of humanity to know that loneliness is not a part of my creation. It's not an intended part of my creation. That fact, loneliness is a violation of, how, of what I am creating. And so I want everyone to know for all of time that I'm creating the world in such a way that loneliness doesn't exist. It's not good for someone to be alone. So why does loneliness exist then? Like, why do we feel it? Why does it settle into us? Why is it such a profoundly negative experience? Where our relationship to everything was ripped apart by sin, and this is what the biblical narrative tells us. Uh, ultimately, sin brought about death of everything, including relationships. And so Adam, when he sinned, brought forth this reality that everything is falling apart. And so we feel lonely. We feel lonely because sin isolates us from every meaningful relationship. In fact, you could say that the primary role of sin in life is to separate. And what sin does is sin separates you from you. This is the most profound of all separations. This is why you feel not okay in your own skin. This is why you have a hard time relating to yourself. This is why like, seeing yourself is such a difficult experience because you don't want to really see yourself. This is why most people, if, if they were given the choice between being loved or being known, would choose being loved because they fear that if you knew me, you wouldn't love me. And what happens in the Bible is in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, and they immediately go into hiding. Why? Because the, the feeling of nakedness is one they experience. They experience nakedness, and they begin to hide themselves behind leaves. Why? Because they feel exposed. They fear fear. They feel shame. They feel guilt. And what that does is it isolates. I don't want you to know me. I don't want to be known. I don't want to be found out. And it pulls a person away from community, and sin separates you from you, and it separates you from others. And it, it drives a wedge between you and other people. And you even see that happening in the early pages. In Genesis 3.11, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you, have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. In other words, it's her fault, and blame begins to happen. And a, a wedge is driven between Adam and Eve. And so what happens is sin separates the profound experience. Separates you from you, separates you from others, separates you from God. This, this kind of separation is really, really profound. You know, the Lord's looking for Adam and Eve in the garden. He calls out and he says, Adam, where are you? And as he's calling out for Adam, Adam says, well, I hid. Why did you hide, God says. Adam says, I was afraid, I was naked, and I hid myself. I was afraid, and I was naked, and I hid myself. This, this feeling that Adam has in this moment because of sin is one that everyone in this room can relate to. This idea of, that I'm, I'm afraid that you will find me out. I feel suddenly exposed. I feel suddenly vulnerable. I feel naked. 
and I'm afraid, and I don't want you to find me out, and so I'll hide behind my career. I'll hide behind my smile. I'll hide behind my parenting. I'll hide behind, and you can pick any number of things that people will hide behind, but they hide behind it for explicit purpose because they don't want to be found out. Sin separates. It separates you from you. It separates you from others. It separates you from God. It separates you from the, world, from the physical world. Cursed is the ground because of you. I mean, uh, this, this, this cursing of everything because of sin in the world is a reality that is experienced most profoundly at death. We've already read Romans 5.12, or at least referenced it, that sin brought about death. It's an ultimate decay of everything. It's a, it's a separation from you and the physical world. So why do we feel lonely? We feel lonely because sin isolates us from every meaningful relationship. That's why you feel lonely. And so what's interesting to me in the drama of this text, in the beginning stories of Jesus' life, is that I really, I mean, I pressed, I pressed hard. I, I mean, I, I probably wrote four or five or six different lines that never made it into the talk because I just couldn't use enough hyperbolic language to stretch our imagination far enough to get how dramatic the virgin birth is. It's just very difficult to explain. God far exceeds the boundaries of human imagination to redeem and restore love for the lonely. It's just hard to put it into words. So I found myself just reading and rereading the text over and over and over again. And I, I, I had this loaded into my iPad. I just started writing in the margin uh, of my iPad as I was walking through the text. And I just, just wrote down, the birth of Jesus is. And you, immediately off the page, the birth of Jesus is scandalous scandalous. You, you read it and you go, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, basically married, married for a year uh, prior to consummation, but betrothed to Joseph before they came together, before they lived together, she was found to be with child. Scandalous. Mary is betrothed to be with Joseph. Joseph is wise enough to know that there are certain things that cause babies to happen, and he hasn't done that, and his wife is pregnant. Or, this is scandalous. And it's also unbelievable. Because the reason she's pregnant is given. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Not an easy one to pull off. <laughs> that's, that's a, you know, you get to do that once in human history. Here it is. And she gives that rationale. So it's embarrassing. The birth of Jesus is scandalous, unbelievable, embarrassing. In fact, many people throughout the centuries have tried to write around it just because it's really hard to imagine this being true. Imagine a Jewish writer writing that, that God had come together with humanity to form a baby. It sounds like Greek mythology, not like Jewish tradition. You can imagine how unbelievable and how embarrassing this narrative could be. In fact, and her husband Joseph, being just a man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Why? Because it was embarrassing. Scandalous, unbelievable, embarrassing, frightening even. And so you look at the passage in verse 20, but as he considered these things, meaning divorcing his wife, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
The birth of Jesus is scandalous, unbelievable, embarrassing, frightening, and saving. Because Jesus gets a name. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, or Joshua, which means Yahweh saves, for he will save people from their sins. He's going to come in to save. And the birth of Jesus is redemptive. It's redemptive. Scandalous, unbelievable, embarrassing, frightening, saving, redemptive. Now, here's what struck me. I mean, just like in the jaw. I'm reading the text, and I'm going, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means you don't have to be alone anymore because God is with you. You don't have to be alone. That loneliness is being undone. And that God's going to make it so that no human being ever has to experience being alone again. How powerful is that? Scandalous, unbelievable, embarrassing, frightening, saving, redemptive, even restorative. When Jesus shows up, it seems like he's going to break apart a marriage. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took his wife, and restoration happened. I think you'd be hard-pressed to imagine another narrative so unbelievable, yet everything in your bones wants it and even needs it to be true. Like, man, you don't have to think really hard to find a time in your life, even in your recent life, where loneliness settled into your soul. It's, it's really it's a profound experience how we can be surrounded by people yet still feel all alone. And in those moments, those, those are the times where we just want more than anything is to, to be near somebody, to be connected to somebody. There's so many, there's so many people who have experienced this in their marriages where they're, just, they're, they're living with somebody but they don't know each other. And even though they may sleep in the same bed, they feel all alone. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm undoing it. Like we may disagree about what is a sin, but no one argues over the universal feeling of shame we feel when we sin and how it isolates us from meaningful relationships. And you don't have to think hard about a time in your life when you systematically removed yourself from all the meaningful relationships in your life because you were ashamed. How, what sin does is it drives you into hiding and how you cover up and how you try to pretend like everything's okay but everything's not okay and you just push away people because you'd rather be loved and not known. Because you're afraid if somebody really knew you, they wouldn't love you. And God with us is a promise that God is undoing the isolation of the human heart, restoring all meaningful relationships. He's undoing it all. Like loneliness does not have to be a part. In fact, it's not an intended part of the human existence and God's undoing it. J.I. Packer says, it is here 
And the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of Christian revelation lie. It's just here in this moment, your mind is blown by what God's about doing. Jesus was born with two natures. One given by Mary, one given by God through the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born with two equal and coexisting natures. He's fully God, preexistent God. The Word became flesh, made us dwelling among us, and fully human. Part of the purpose of the virgin birth of Jesus is to show us that salvation does not come from man, says David Platt, but from God. Salvation is wholly the work of a supernatural God, not the work of natural man. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves from our sins, which is evident even in the way in which Jesus entered the world. This baby born in Bethlehem was and is the center of all history. He is fully God and fully man, but we can't mistake the fact that he is fully human. Jesus and his humanity then is fully relatable. The Bible says that he is able to help in Hebrews 2.18. He's able to help because he has uh, experienced the suffering of human life, the suffering of temptation, namely. The Bible describes Jesus as ordinarily human, having ordinary human experiences. In fact, people perceived Jesus to be ordinarily human. Uh, he goes back to his hometown to preach, and they're looking at Jesus as he's preaching in his hometown. They're going, I don't know. Don't get it. Right? This is what happens. Look at Matthew 13. And coming to the hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Like we saw this boy grow up. There was nothing remarkable about him. No one expected this because he's ordinarily human. And he had an ordinary human experience just like you and me. He, he's experienced the pain of rejection. He's experienced tiredness, fatigue. I mean, who is not rolling into Christmas like, <gasps> bro, come on. I am. I don't know about you. I, you know, he gets it. Do you know Jesus experienced the most profoundly negative human experience that we all know called loneliness? While hanging on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And experienced the most profound loneliness of the human soul. So you don't have to be lonely anymore. You know, when he was buried and he rose from the grave, he conquered sin and death and all of its consequences, including loneliness overcame it. He's come as the promised Emmanuel who is God with us. See, Jesus in subjecting himself to the pain of the fallen world has become someone we can truly connect with. Like he gets it. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, draw near. I wanted to test the bounds of that passage this week. With what confidence can I draw near to my Savior? There's got to be in my life a, an experience I've had that He cannot relate to. 
that he can't sympathize with in his humanity. And so I, I pressed it, and I thought I found it. I thought I really did. I thought I found it. I was like, man, I'm smart. I got this. Because I know that the, the Bible talks about our adoption into God's family uh, through the complete and finished work of Jesus. How, you know, he lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we should have died. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. He conquered our sin and death. He gave us his righteousness as a gift, and, and he also gave us his birthright. Now we get to be called children of God, sons and daughters. In fact, the Holy Spirit testifies to that, saying that we get to cry out to God as our dad. And so I know that to be true, and I thought, that's cool, but um, Jesus can't relate to my, because I was adopted by my father, my earthly father. He can't relate to that, and then it dawned on me, he can. He can relate even to my adoption. And this is what I wrote down in my journal this week. If you've ever felt displaced or not at home in your own family, Jesus can relate to that because Jesus was adopted by his father, Joseph. Like He, he, he understands it. I mean, if you've ever been around the Christmas tree celebration and looked at your family members and thought, I don't know if I belong here, you know, and they, they haven't told you you're adopted, but you kind of feel like you were, you know, <laughs> Jesus can relate. In Matthew 1.16, you, you, you see the end of the sort of genealogy. Patriarch after patriarch after patriarch, and then you have a matriarch. Mary, of whom Jesus was born. It's her seed. Then we see in the passage that we're studying today, in Matthew 1.24, that he took his wife. In other words, he married Mary. And then he called Jesus by his name, and he adopted him into the family. David Platt says, The fact that Matthew never explicitly refers to Joseph as Jesus' father reminds us that Jesus was born to an adoptive father. After being named and taken into the family by Joseph legally, Jesus is Joseph's son. See, Jesus and his humanity is fully relatable, and you can test the boundaries of that, and I encourage you to do so, to find an area in your life in which you can't talk to Jesus about in some way in which he can relate. And in your prayer time, you can know that you, when you're talking to God, you're talking to a God who understands and who knows. Jesus is also, in his deity, fully capable of restoring all things. Jesus has all authority and power. It's all his. Uh, it doesn't belong to anybody else. He says uh, this in Matthew 28. This is after he's raised from the dead. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he put that on display throughout his ministry. Healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, uh, turning water into wine. I mean, you name the miracle. He has done it. And he's put on display his divine nature over and over and over again. Just consider the contrasting natures of Jesus. He was born as a baby. Yet he sustains the universe by the power of his word, says Colossians. Uh, he was 30 years old, and he exists eternally. Uh, he was tired, yet he's omnipotent. He died, and yet he conquered death and rose from the, <laughs> from the grave. He has returned to heaven. He's sitting at the right-hand throne of God right now, yet he's present with us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You see, Jesus is, is fully God. He is the creator God, in fact. And not only is he the creator God, he's the recreator God. He's, he's in charge of creation. He's in charge of recreation. He's making all things new. And what you see in the birth story, when you look at it again, you'll see now the birth of Jesus, Matthew 1.18, that word could easily be translated the genesis of Jesus, the beginning of Jesus. In Jesus', Jesus birth, it reminds us of Genesis. 
when God produced life through his Holy Spirit. Think about how this works for Mary. The birth of Jesus happened this way. The Holy Spirit brought life, hovered over her womb, so to speak. Then you read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. In other words, there was no life. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God brought about life, and He breathed His life into Adam and Eve, and He did so through the power of His Spirit. You see, Genesis points to not only God as creator and God as recreator, but it points to God's redemptive plan. And Jesus is God's redemptive plan. There's a curse given to the serpent for causing all the temptation, you know, for bringing about the temptation and all the stuff. And, and Jesus says to the serpent, says to Satan, her offspring, her seed, her child, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's a prophecy of when Christ is going to overcome the enemy. And what do we see in the pages of Matthew 1.16? We see patriarch, his seed, his seed, his seed, her seed. And here is Mary, of whom Jesus is born. You see, the same God who created in Genesis 1 is recreating in Matthew 1. He's bringing about the renewal of all things. And it's important, I think, to note that Jesus saved us to restore a meaningful relationship with himself and everything else. That also jumps off the pages. His name, Jesus, verse 21, means that God saves. He will come to save. The, the name Jesus takes us back historically to Joshua. And it takes us historically back then to the Exodus. And the Exodus... Israel is saved from slavery to Egypt. And this new and greater exodus that Jesus is leading us on, we are saved to our slavery to sin, from, saved from our slavery to sin. Joshua leads into the promised land, but where, where is this salvation of Jesus leading us to? She will bear a son. You should call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins, just like Joshua led the people into the promised land. He's going to lead you. Salvation is going to lead you someplace. Where is it going to lead us? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear his son. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. <laughs> he will be our God. We will be his people. He's what he's saving us for? Relationship. Christianity is not that complicated a religion. God loves you. He loves you. He, he cares for you so immensely that he stretches the human imagination. He says, it's kind of like I'm a father sending my son, whom I love, to live for you and die for you because I love you. And I want a relationship with you. And when I created the world, I said it wasn't good for loneliness to be a part of it. So here's a little bit of recap. Jesus restores what sin separated. Sin separated us from love. Loving relationship. And it's love that Jesus restores. It's love 
Jesus restores love because he is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That God so loved you. And I want to remind you of a point I made earlier. I just want to let it sink in for a second for you. The reason that we allow ourselves to isolate, the reason why we isolate ourselves from others is precisely because shame and fear and guilt has settled in to our, to, 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 to our, our, our present sense of being. Shame and fear and guilt always drive you away from people. And they come packaged with this narrative, don't let anybody find out. Hide it. Conceal it. Pretend. Fake it till you make it. And it's God that shows up on the scene. He says, you know what? I know everything there is to know about you. There's nothing that I don't know about you. I know it all. I've seen it all. There's nothing that has happened in your life that I'm unaware of. When a bird dies, I know it. I know the number of hairs on your head. I know all of it. It's all, it's all here. And I'm not straining to, to know it all. I know it all completely. And, I, and God is saying this to you. And I still sent my son Jesus for you because I love you. I love you. And if you've, if you've removed yourself from community, if you're, a, if you're at a, you know, in a place where you're surrounded by people and you feel completely alone, the Bible says that Jesus is God with us. He's God with us. And you don't have to be alone. You do not have to live with loneliness. The presence of the living God is here. Right now it's here. When two or more are gathered together, I mean, think about the promises. How many times God promises to be present? I will never leave you or forsake you. You are like spiritual stones being being built up to a spiritual (laughs) this house that my presence dwells in and lives in. It's love that Jesus restores. It's a love relationship that he has with you that he's restoring. So let him rescue you from loneliness. Listen to his promise in Matthew 28. I'm always with you. Listen to the pages of, the, of, of Matthew's gospel. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And no, he's reversing the curse of loneliness. He's reversing it. And he's given you the gift of himself. There really isn't a reason to delay your receiving it. And all morning, and since I preached this first time Thursday night, I have been, I've been praying for this, this, this to be an experience for you. That it's not just be words taught or be an experience felt. Because love isn't just a concept. Love is something you feel and experience because it's personal. And I prayed that if there's anybody that was battling with loneliness, the Holy Spirit would meet you most dramatically and He would give you the gift of His presence. And that you would hear not only God is with us, but you'd hear God is with me right now. 
And the Holy Spirit affirmed to you that you are God's child. He loves you. He sent his son for you. And you're not alone. That's my hope for you. So, Father, thank you for undoing this most profound human experience that is not a part of your design. I thank you for reminding us that it is not good to be alone. I thank you for coming as Emmanuel, Lord Jesus, being God with us. I thank you so much for that. It is my hope and prayer that we will all experience together your presence. You'd meet us here. As we sing to you, as we talk, as we communicate to one another, as we communicate to you in our prayers, you would just let us know that you're here. Thank you, Father, in advance for that gift this Christmas. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.